Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love for us that though we had all rebelled against you and gone our own way, that you sent Christ for us. And God, we thank you that you have given us your word as well. We pray that you would teach us from your word today as we continue to consider the human heart and how we should turn towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our sermon series here at Cornerstone. We're calling it The Story of the Bible. And it's taken a couple of bad turns the last few weeks. Two weeks ago, we looked at King Solomon, who started really well and ended really poorly. He introduced, uh, I shouldn't say introduced because he wasn't the first person to do it, but he allowed into Israel the worship of foreign gods. And it was a sin that the nation of Israel never recovered from. In fact, as we saw last Sunday, the nation of Israel continued in Solomon's sins long after Solomon had died. And they continued in their rebellion. That was the key word last week, was rebellion. Well, what's God to do for people who keep rebelling against him? Well, that leads us to today, and our word for today, as you can see, is exile. Not a happy deal. So that's three weeks in a row of bad stuff. And I hope you're getting the point from this, that the human heart is prone to wander. Left to ourselves, we would probably choose a path of our own desires, and that path would take us away from God. So the bad news of the Bible is really bad, and the Old Testament paints a really dark picture of the sin of the human heart. But don't worry, we will eventually get to good news. In fact, after today's sermon, the, the next two sermons are going to be amazingly positive. After God has seen the, the horrible state that his people had gotten themselves in, we're going to see amazing rescue that God will bring about. But before we get there, we have today's sermon. And today's message is about exile and punishment. Now, for those of us who are parents, we know that we have to figure out how to discipline our kids, right? Sometimes, unfortunately, our kids don't do what is right, even if they have been told repeatedly what is right. And we are not good parents if we just let our kids do that. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that children who don't receive discipline are not true children. So the, the flip side of that is to be a true parent, you have to figure out how to do discipline in such a way that your children will understand. And uh, I don't want to get into all the details of all of that, except to say what I just said, that we have to figure out how to get our point across to our children in discipline. Now, we have found one that works in our house. It's the timeout. See, our kids, and maybe your kids are like this too, they love to be where the fun is. And sometimes things are going so fun, and two kids have a different idea of how that fun should go, and something goes wrong. And in our house, what we have figured out, that a punishment that works is to remove the child from the fun when something goes wrong and put them in a timeout, where they have time to stop and think about what they have done wrong and, and what I even like about the timeout sometimes is that, that I can go up into the timeout with them and have a conversation with them about what went wrong. And, and sometimes in those conversations, we see a change of heart. We see that repentance has happened. Well, the nation of Israel, and you kids might be glad to hear this, the nation of Israel had a few timeouts in their history. And the one that we're going to look at today is a really long timeout. 70 years. Okay, so kids, if you get 10 minutes in your bedroom alone, just remember, Israel got 70 years in exile in their time out. That exile 
was designed to get the people to think about their sin. Now, before we jump into our passage, we're eventually going to get to Jeremiah 25 today, but it's here that we really should do a little brief history lesson because this is one of the most confusing times of history in the Bible. We know about the nation of Israel, but and I hope you know if you've read the Bible that at one point in time, in fact, I'll put it up there, in the year 930 B.C., the nation of Israel split into two. So you can see up there, the blue on top is the kingdom of Israel, and then that yellowish gold on the bottom would be the kingdom of Judah. And that's where Jerusalem was. And it gets confusing in the Bible because you might expect that Jerusalem was in Israel, but actually, when the nation was divided, Jerusalem was in the south, in Judah. So in 930 BC, just after the reign of Solomon, the I- Israel split into two. And there were actually two exiles then that happened in the Old Testament. The first one happened around 722 BC when the northern nations, uh, nation of Israel was exiled into Assyria due to their unfaithfulness. You can read about that in 2 Kings 17. We're not going to talk about that exile today, but uh, part of your homework assignment for this week, if you want to do it, would be to read 2 Kings 17 to read the, the exile of the northern tribes. And then, between the years of 605 to 586 BC, the southern tribe of Judah was exiled to Babylon. And the reason that I have about a two-decade time span there is because that exile happened in different stages. So that some people were brought out at 605 and then at at different stages all the way until 586 when the nation was, was taken into Babylon. Now, one of the things that we should not forget, even as we look at a map like this, and as we, we see other nations like Assyria and Babylon, is that we should not forget that God is sovereign over all nations. You see, Israel was the, the small nation at this time, and Assyria and Babylon were the superpowers of their day, and God is sovereign even over the superpowers to use them for his will. And that will be important as we consider Babylon at the end of our passage today. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jeremiah 25, verses 1 through 14, to see how God talked about the exile of Judah. And as we go through the passage, I want to use three key words to frame the sermon. Okay, Jeremiah 25, starting in verse 1, and this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking to the people of Judah shortly before their first exile in 605. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, For twenty-three years, from the thirteenth year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your, for- and your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have provoked me with what your hands have made and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. 
I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring upon that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Okay, so again, three key words today, and the first of them is the word listen. Now, if we're going to understand this part of the Bible, we have to remember that God kept sending prophets to his people. In verse 4 we read, the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again. So would the people listen? Well, unfortunately, that's a big fat no. In fact, I want to show you four different verses in here where it says they didn't listen. Verse 3, but you have not listened. Verse 4, you have not listened or paid attention. Verse 7, but you did not listen to me. And if you're not getting the point yet, or if you're not listening... Verse 8 says, because you have not listened to my words. So again and again, God sent his words, and again and again, the people did not listen to him. If they would have listened, what they would have heard was that God was drawing a people to himself. Remember what we talked about earlier in this series? God called Abraham, God said go, and Abraham went. And what God did was he drew Abraham to himself and, and made a people for himself. And that pattern of Abraham was meant to be repeated over and over and over again in the Old Testament in the New Testament in our lives as we respond to God by faith that's what God would have done because you see this isn't just an Old Testament thing where God asked his people to listen it's in the New Testament as well one of the names for Jesus is the word and we're supposed to listen to Jesus we're supposed to listen to God's word the Bible I really enjoyed a discussion that we had in our adult Sunday school last week. We were looking at Ephesians 5, and one of the verses there, verse 10 says, Find out what pleases the Lord. Isn't it interesting to think that we have a book from God where he tells us what pleases him? And our job then as his followers is to get to know God and his word, to find out what pleases him, and to do it. And, and the only way that we're going to figure out how to do that is if we're listening to God and his word. So we are to be people who continually seek God in his word to find out what pleases him. So application point, very simply here, are you listening to God's word? Now obviously that includes reading God's word, but I'd like to remind you, it goes a step further than that. It's not just reading God's word, it's humbly submitting. We, we talked about that word humility today in adult Sunday school. Uh, it, was a, it was a great time for us to consider that true wisdom comes as we humble ourselves before God. As we say to him, for example, with an open Bible in front of us, God, what do you want me to hear from this? So even today as you're sitting there, I, I hope that your heart right now is saying, God, what do you want me to hear from this sermon, from your word? Is your heart humble and soft before God? Are you listening to his word? Let's move on now to our second key word. second key word is turn. Um, 
Anybody ever seen the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Um, it's on TV like every other day, I think, in the edited version. Um, pretty funny movie. In that movie, John Candy and Steve Martin, their two characters are trying to get across country. And at one point, they get a car, and they're distracted as they get onto the interstate, and they end up going the wrong way down the interstate. Remember this scene? So they're, they're driving just as happy as could be down the, down the interstate, the wrong direction. And across the divide, going down the proper side of the interstate, is another car. And that car is trying to get their attention. The guy rolls down his window and says, you're going the wrong way. And, and John Candy and Steve Martin are like, what? what's that guy saying? Oh, I think he's telling us we're going the wrong way. And, and John Candy says, how does he know where we're going? So they're like, sure, buddy. And they start to mock the guy who's telling them that they're going the wrong way. And the guy is just insistent about it. He's like, you're going to die, is what he says. And they're just in the car again, sure thing, buddy, whatever. And then what finally alerts them to the fact that they're going the wrong way is when two semis come right at them. And they see it just in time to squeeze in between those two semis with each side of the car scratching each semi as they go past. But... Uh, they were told repeatedly that they were going the wrong way. God had told his people repeatedly that they were going the wrong way. In verses 5 and 6, I just want to reread them for you. They said, they being the prophets, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. I just want to emphasize that word turn there in verse 5. It's a common Old Testament word and it means exactly what you think it means. It means to go in the other direction. And oftentimes it also carries that connotation of repentance. And, and here's the idea. If you're going in the wrong direction, you should turn around. And God sent his prophets for that precise reason, to help the people recognize their need to turn around. And if the people would turn around, God told them in verse 5 that they would stay in the land that the Lord gave to their fathers, which goes again back to the promises that God gave to Abraham. To see how oftentimes it goes back to Abraham, God told Abraham that the land would be theirs forever. But there was an if in that. Because we see here that God would keep his promise if his people remained faithful. And specifically, it says here in verse 6 that they were not to follow other gods or to worship them, which reminds us of what? The, the first of the Ten Commandments that says, you shall have no other gods before me. So, very simply, the people of Judah were supposed to worship God. And, and here's how I like to say it. The heart that worships God stays close to God. Now on the flip side then, the heart that wanders from God is the heart that is setting itself up for punishment. God loves us too much to let us keep wandering, so he warns us. And the punishment that we read about today comes after a multitude of warnings from God. If 70 years in exile seems like a harsh punishment, well just think of all the hundreds of years that God had spent warning his people. It's the heart of God to warn us. So how is your heart as you think about these issues of God's warnings and our need to worship God? Application question here, is your heart close to God? You see, the warnings that we see in this chapter aren't just for the people of Judah. They're, they stand as an example for us. And there's many more warnings in the New Testament. 
And God gives us those warnings that we might stay close to him. That our hearts would seek him. That our hearts would be humble before him. That our hearts would worship him. So how's your heart doing in that? Are you worshiping God the way you should? Or is your heart seeking after some idol? An idol would be anything that we would set up in place of God. Anything that we would devote our lives to that, that is not from God. So, getting back to Jeremiah and the people of Judah, would they hear this warning and finally turn around? Well, unfortunately, we see in verse 7 that it had gone too far. And verse 7 says, But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have provoked me with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Which leads me then to our third key word today, which is punishment. Now, I chose the word punishment. It doesn't actually show up in our passage today. Uh, perhaps we could look at that word harm, though, in verse 7, and that's, that's a pretty decent word as well. And, and then we should ask, where did this harm come from? Well, what does it say right there in that verse? The harm, it says, you have brought harm to yourself. Now, this is an interesting question. The exile, was it punishment from God, or did the people bring it on themselves? I, th I think probably the right answer is that we would say it's both. On the one hand, it's fair to say that the people brought it on themselves due to their sinfulness, and, and that's the way that it works. Uh, I was talking with a, a pastor friend this week, and he said his grandma has a saying, those who won't listen have to feel. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? Those who won't listen have to feel. And I think that's what's going on here for Judah. They wouldn't listen and they brought this harm upon themselves. And again, we parents know that discipline is, is part of what we need to do as parents. So on the, th that's where the, the other side of this comes in, that this discipline came from God. So yes, it came from the people in their sin, but it also came as punishment from God due to their sin. And in the book of Hebrews, which I've mentioned before, uh, in fact, Hebrews 12 it's a, a passage, it's a great passage that talks about discipline from God. It might be another passage that you want to read as part of your homework assignment. Um, and that passage in Hebrews tells us that we respect our parents for disciplining us. Now, kids, maybe you need to listen to this one, that uh, 20 years from now, you're going to respect your parents for disciplining you. Because we parents know that we can't let you kids just do whatever you want to do. It doesn't work very well that way. It's not love to let people wander on the wrong path. Although our society would tell us that it is, right? Think about that. Our society these days tells us just let people do what they want to do, make the decisions that they want to make. Whatever path they pick is okay. But if that path leads to ruin, we should warn them. That's what God does for us. He warns us. When God's people forsake him, one of his plans is to remove blessings so that the people will seek the giver of the blessings. And if you're ever in a spot where you feel like, man, nothing's going right for me, maybe that's a reminder for you to say, hey God, is there something I'm not doing right? That's why the exile happened here. And it's pretty interesting to me to see the language God used in this passage. I already showed you in verse 4 where God sent his servants, the prophets. Now look at verse 9. I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. 
That word summon is the same word as sent. So just like God had sent the prophets, now he sent the nation of Babylon to bring punishment on Israel. And it's the same word as well. In verse 4, it was his servants, the prophets. And here in verse 9, it's his servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Because the people wouldn't listen to the servants, the prophets, God sent another servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that interesting? Now, it's not that we should think that Nebuchadnezzar was a follower of God at this point in his life. I don't think that's the case here yet. Uh, he has some interesting events in Daniel that, that lead him to see some things about God, but by this point, I don't think he's following God yet. He was simply a tool in the hand of God. Now, if you were to meet Nebuchadnezzar in his day, you would look at him as the powerful king of the strongest empire in the known world, but really he was just a tool in God's hands used to bring punishment on God's people for their sins. So, what we see was this punishment of exile. It came from God, but it was also self-inflicted. And let me get back to this idea about punishment, because I think a lot of people struggle to figure this out. Some people, when they have messed up, and I don't need to see a show of hands on this, but maybe you're like this. Maybe you're a person, when you mess up, you beat yourself up over it. And God might give you one punishment, but you add three or four other forms of punishment on top of it. Now, other people blame God for everything. Uh, this would be the kind of person who is rude to everybody, and then all of a sudden somebody is rude back to them and says, God, how come they're so rude to me? How should we view discipline from God? Well, again, Hebrews 12 is helpful for us here. We can remember in discipline that God is doing it for our good. In fact, I want to put Hebrews 12.10 up here. It says, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So God has a purpose for discipline when he brings it to us. It is meant to get us to consider our ways. It, it's not that we should ever think that God is the bully or like in that Far Side cartoon where he's hitting the smite button on the computer. God's discipline is meant to train us and even that we might share in his holiness. So if we're in a place where we're facing punishment, our reaction shouldn't be to get mad at God. Instead, we should be humble enough to say, was it my sin that got me here? Although, let me say this too, sometimes it's not our sin. And Hebrews 12 reminds us of that as well. In, in verse 7 it says there, endure hardship is discipline. So sometimes hard things come our way and it's not our sin, but even so, the, the result is the same. We're supposed to view it as God's training, God's discipline for us. And I hope what we see in this, again, is that God's discipline is meant to transform us. And I also hope that we see that God never leads us into sin. So, if we have to face some consequence of our sin, let's never, let, let's never place the blame on that to God. Instead, let's view these warnings as punishment from God, as a tool he uses to speak to our hearts. So do you get the difference there? Um, sometimes it's our sin and sometimes it's not that brings us into this place where we're receiving punishment or discipline. But God uses that as a tool in our lives. But there's good news in this as well as we consider punishment. Because the gospel message reminds us that the ultimate penalty for our sin need not fall on us. Okay? 
We all have sinned. We all deserve punishment. But God, in love and mercy, sent His Son for us. That any one of us who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord can be completely forgiven of our sins. He took our punishment upon Himself. When He died on the cross, He paid our penalty. And He defeated the power of sin and death and the devil, and the devil so that we could be completely restored and brought into an eternal relationship with God. So as we think about our sin, and again, the, the last three sermons in this series have been about the human heart and how bad our hearts can get as we wander from God, I just want you to remember, God's heart in this is to forgive us and to cleanse us and to bring us back into a relationship with Him. And on that note, I just want to help you see the difference between the guilt of our sin and the consequences of our sin. And, and the reason I say this is because um, I know a person, not, not here, um, I know a person who, who struggled to see the difference between guilt and consequence. And I, I, bet, I bet there's a lot of Christians that struggle with this, and maybe even some of you here. So I just want to spend a few minutes talking about guilt and consequence. And let's talk about consequence first. If you were to go out and rob a store today and get caught, you would have to face the consequences of that. Even if you're a Christian, you... Uh, God might not get you out of the jail sentence that's coming your way. So the consequence of your sin in that case would be that you might have to go to jail for a very long time. But in regard to guilt, even though you did that and it was wrong, you can go to God and receive forgiveness for what you have done. Because of what Jesus did for us and the sacrifice that he offered, all of our guilt can be taken away. So does that make sense? We might still have to live with the consequence of it, but the guilt is taken away. I want to put a verse on the screen, and this might be the verse that, that some of you will have as your takeaway from today's sermon. It's what King David said about guilt. In Psalm 32, 5, he said, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, King David was a guy who knew all about consequence of sin. One time, the consequence of his sin was that his son died. Another time, the consequence of one of his sins was that 70,000 Israelites died. Can you imagine living with, with that on your shoulders? A choice that you made and 70,000 people died as a result. Well, look again at what King David said. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What a joy to know that that guilt can be taken off of our shoulders. That that guilt can be totally taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. And yes, maybe you might have to live with some of the consequences of, of your sin for the rest of your life. There might be something that hangs around with you that you will never be able to get rid of because of a bad choice that you made. But, the guilt can be gone right now. I'm encouraged by that. So getting back to the people of Judah, they were facing 70 years in exile for their sin, and that's a long time out. But let's think about how God sustained them, even in their exile. 
Uh, like it says in verse 11 of our passage today, that exile would last for 70 years. And just a side note here, it's a little bit hard to know how to count those 70 years because as I showed you earlier, there were different stages that they went into exile. And the same thing was true on the, the other side. There were different stages as they went back out of exile. Um, but I'm confident that this 70 years is accurate even if we don't know how to count it. Um, but how did God sustain his people in exile those 70 years? Well, let's think about the example of Daniel. Daniel was taken as, as a captive to Babylon, perhaps in his teenage years. But Daniel resolved to walk with the Lord the whole time he was there. And you can read the book of Daniel and see just how good God was to Daniel as Daniel walked with God. So be encouraged by that. Maybe some of you are facing a hard time right now. Maybe it feels like you're in a kind of exile. But follow the example of Daniel then and just commit to walking with God in the midst of whatever he has for you and trust that God will sustain you. God will give you compassion and grace and strength to face whatever he allows you to face, even, even if that is consequence for your sin. And, and that's, if, you know, getting back to this person I was talking about earlier who had a hard time determining the, the di distinction between guilt and consequence, what I would like to say to him is that God will give you grace for whatever comes your way. Even if your sin messed up your life and the consequence stays, God will give you strength and grace for whatever comes your way. In 1 Peter 1, the imagery is of gold being refined by the fire. Our faith is like that gold and sometimes God uses the heat of the flame to shape us. And nobody says that that punishment is fun. It's usually not fun, but God can use it in great ways in our hearts if we will listen. It's a pretty big if, though. Okay, and then two more things I want to say about God's punishment and exile before we're done here. One thing is that God in his righteousness and justice punished the nation of Babylon as well. God used Babylon as a tool to bring punishment on God's people who had strayed from him. But the people of Babylon were wicked as well. And in the last three verses of our passage that we read today, we see that Babylon is going to face justice as well. In fact, it's, it's not just the wicked nation of Judah and Israel and Babylon that have to face judgment. We all have sinned and we all deserve punishment from God. Our only hope to get out of that punishment is to throw ourselves at the mercy of God shown to us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Again, we, we've all sinned. Our only hope is to trust in Christ. We all need the Savior. And then the last point that I want to make today is that exile is not the end of the story. Okay, we're walking through the story of the Bible and it was bad with Solomon and it was bad with Israel's rebellion and it was bad with the exile, but it's not the end of the story. In their sin, the people of Israel and Judah faced punishment, but I want you to notice what didn't happen there. God did not say, well, you messed it up and I'm done with you forever. In fact, the story of the Bible takes an amazing turn from here. We, we looked at some of the lowest points of Israel's history, but in the next two sermons that we're going to look at, we're going to see amazing grace from God. We're going to see next Sunday how God promised to send another servant, not a wicked king to bring punishment this time, but his son to bring salvation. 
And then after that, we're going to look at the, the transformation in the new covenant that God will bring about in our hearts as we trust in him. So how does God respond to faithless, rebellious sinners? With amazing grace. So no, exile is not the end of the story. Sin is not the end of the story, nor is punishment the end of the story. For those who listen and repent, there is something much better to come. But that's a big if in there. So I just want to leave you with this question. Are you someone who humbly listens to God, who repents of your sin, and continually worships God? Our three key words today, again, the first two were listen and turn. And if we will listen and turn, we will see the mercy and grace that come from God. But if not, there's that warning of punishment. In fact, the warnings of punishment continue all the way through the end of the Bible, even into the last two chapters where we see glory, we also see punishment for those who continued in their rebellion. So are you someone who listens to God, who repents of your sin? And maybe one of your takeaways today is just to ask God to show you your sin. We've been talking about that the last three weeks now. And uh, maybe some of you needed to hear it a third time. Talk to God about your sin and repent of it. And then finally, does your heart continually worship God? We are not to have any other gods before him. May we be people who give our entire lives to him always seeking to honor him by what we do and say and think. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we thank you that you have sent your message to your people, that you want us to listen to you and that you want us to turn away from sin. And God, we thank you for the blessings that we receive, the blessing of forgiveness and the blessing of eternal life and the blessing of your presence with us now, the blessing of your Holy Spirit to empower us to live the lives you want us to live. And God, I pray that we would all be humble and that we would all listen to you. So help us, God. Again, we, we ask you, we invite you to show us our sin that we might repent of it. And God, we pray that you would strengthen us to follow you and to worship you. You are worthy of all glory and praise. We extol you, God. We lift you up. We praise your name. And we pray that we would praise your name with the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.